Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Federer suggests ATP WTA merger. Murray targets French Open in September. And we assemble our perfect players. And welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans, for fans, with your host, Joel and Kim. On today's episode, we're going to be assembling our perfect tennis players on the ATP and WTA tours. Yes, we may have taken inspiration from Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic's Instagram session last week. And we'll be personally choosing who we want to play each stroke on a tennis court. Kim, I'm really looking forward to this because I've, I've been thinking a lot about who can play what shot taking inspiration from from Murray and Djokovic? Well, I'd hope that all players could be able to play all shots in reality. (laughs) Otherwise, they'd be pretty incomplete players. However, yeah, we have uh, been putting our thinking caps on during during the lockdown and uh, creating our perfect player, which in reality might be a nightmare. It might be like Frankenstein... Uh, Frankenstein's monster (laughs) but we'll see (laughs) my mind did genuinely go to what would be like the worst sort of player for each stroke (laughs) but uh yeah I I have made sure yeah I've almost yeah I did think about that on the side but um yeah before we get on to that let's just quickly address some of the the tennis news that's been going on this week and I think kind of the biggest thing that has happened was on social media was by Roger Federer and without any sort of warning he just came out on Twitter and said Oh, I think the the idea of the ATP and the WTA governing bodies getting together in some sort of merger capacity is a great idea, and it's set the you know it's set the it's set kind of tennis Twitter alight. It, you know, it generated a lot of a lot of conversation with players, with fans. Um, you know, lots of people have had their own opinions. Uh, with you know, I think kind of the overall reaction, I think is. A positive one. I think more people are saying, yeah, that's a great idea. There are some doubters, there are some naysayers, but um, yeah, what were you kind of thinking when this news came out? Because yeah, as I said, it really, it did seem to come out of nowhere. And I guess, you know, I guess that, you know, a, a constant theme we, you know, talk about in tennis is the lack of sort of uh, cooperation and teamwork between governing bodies you know we have like rival competitions and you know we have like the lack of kind of mixed events and it seems that a lot of stakeholders are kind of out for themselves as opposed to kind of being united um but it seems that kind of you know this obviously the situation the context that we're in at the moment it almost is providing this kind of perfect platform uh for people for stakeholders in tennis like the ATP like the WTA to come together and yeah who knows explore that sort of combined 
that sort of combined approach that you know could be part of the new normal um, in in the tennis world. Yeah, I think you know we're potentially in a, a long you know period where there's not going to be any tennis. So now is the time to think how can we come out of it stronger? And you know, Federer was essentially putting forward the argument that it's best to ha- to have one combined, stronger, unified body that governs professional tennis and then two weaker ones and um i think i think he's right personally i think there now is the time for everything to be more joined up more unified and you know he he wasn't talking necessarily about uh mixed competitions on the court although i think if you had more mixed events and the tours were united you probably would have maybe more like mixed doubles going on which would be great fun um everyone loves a bit of mixed doubles don't they so um but yeah, I mean, I don't even necessarily think that joining ATP and WTA together would mean that every tournament had to be a mixed event because, you know, some tournaments just don't have the capacity to host X number of players in a given week. But I just think in terms of decision making and prize money and points and all that sort of thing, uh, off season length, you know, if it's more joined up, that's going to just be fairer for everyone involved. And I mean, I know if a couple of players have sort of pointed out that, you know, why should the WTA join the ATP? Um, you know, is it going to be any good for, for the men, essentially? Um, I don't know if they're taking umbrage at, at women's tennis, you know, joining them. Um, but I don't see how that would, I don't see how joining them together would bring one of them down. Um, I know Kyrgios was quite vocal about it not being a good idea. Um but I don't. I think that's. I just. I don't. I don't get his point particularly. I'm. I'm all for this. This merger, if it happens. Yeah, because it seems to be that this. You know, although kind of Federer announced it, it, it did seem that sort of there were things going on in the background um, involving some players um, that this was already kind of taking motions and kind of conversations were already happening, and it did feel maybe perhaps that you know obviously kind of Federer wanted to put the kind of the word out there almost kind of as a, I guess as a sound using Twitter as almost kind of a soundboard, but um, it did feel like perhaps some people may have seen him as a kind of almost kind of jumping the gun and, you know, saying something that, you know, maybe could have been kept under wraps for a little longer whilst perhaps it, you know, needed to be, you know, fleshed out a bit more. I think, yeah, because um, I think Rafa, well, Rafa came out, didn't he? And put something on Instagram, like, as per our discussions, I'm fully behind this this United uh, tour. So there obviously was stuff going on in, in discussions like, on the player council before, maybe. Um, I think Vasek Pospisil as well um, had his say, um, saying that maybe this wasn't supposed to be uh, kind of shared it I, I don't know but it's obviously I mean it's good that they'd already been having these discussions before uh coronavirus but how far they'd got with those discussions I'm not sure yeah and it is it, it's a bit like you know I think the the situation I almost kind of likened it to was when the you know I live in London and the you know the night tube when the night tube came in Boris Johnson announced it the, the prime minister announced it like you know six months in advance of it actually kind of happening and you almost yeah jump the gun on that and it feels like here maybe we're jumping on gum a little bit but I, I think everyone is kind of you know more or less kind of excited at the sort of the prospect or even you know just to really kind of flirt almost with the idea because it is something that I think almost you know over you know over the decades really has almost just become this sort of taboo in the tennis world you know I don't think we've ever really it's never really been on the cards or even been in a, a sort of discussion point because you just thought that would never ever happen but 
you know, because we're kind of living in these sort of completely new circumstances, you know, it's almost kind of opened the way as almost as a portal to things that we never thought could happen before. Actually, you know, they could they could happen. And you know, this idea that kind of the two tours, you know, would be stronger together, um, as Judy Murray, um, you know, Judy Murray kind of kind of agreed with and gave her you know approval of um yeah i just think it's it's very interesting i think for me the the biggest question is i think it can be done but it's whether it it will be because you know as, as we said there's a lot of kind of stakeholders in tennis and you know without getting kind of too kind of specific i'm sure there's a lot of kind of complexities that would you know need to be you know need to be ironed out and getting all those people in a room to agree on right one you know, one stake in the rack, one stake in the ground, kind of going forward. I think that is almost that for me is is the big test. Yeah, I think um, in reality, it's obviously a lot more complicated and probably would take several several years. Um, and how much like demand will there be from from the players and from sponsors and the media and tournaments themselves? I mean, I think in terms of the mixed tournaments that we have at the moment, they're generally you know some of the most the most popular tournaments they have, you know, Grand Slams, Indian Wells, Miami, like Madrid and Rome, like a, most of the main tournaments in tennis are already mixed, which just goes to show that it's like, this is a great idea, I think. But, um, and also I think when the WTA was set up originally, like Billie Jean King kind of said, you know, the first step is obviously that women get a professional tour together, but the next step would be to naturally merge with with the men's tour. So it was always kind of part of a process by which they would eventually unite. So it's just taken many years later. <laughs> and I, 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 I guess, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on, on like a fan point of view. I do... I do think combined events are the best, are the most fun. You know, even like the ones on the tour, I'm just thinking like Acapulco, for example. I always think it's better when you can go to one event and you see you can see men's tennis and women's tennis obviously you know we see that at you know grand slam level but it would be great to kind of see that combined approach i think more on the a tour level and if you had you know the atp and wta coming together i think it would be great to kind of get um you know com- like more combined events out there because they are you know so much more fun and maybe you know that starts with you know taking ones that already exist and adding you know the know the women's element into it i know there's kind of been talks about the labor cup and the fact that you know that is a you know a men's tournament moment um should that become you know a combined event and i think that there i think we kind of we know i think there's this sort of untapped thirst for more combined events um you know we saw how popular you know hotman cup is we know how popular mixed doubles is you know it feels like that could be something that could really be tapped into if if you know, a merger could take place. Yeah, and I think in a lot of other sports, it's completely separate, isn't it? I mean, obviously it is in tennis as well, but at the moment, but, you know, tennis could really be the forerunner for other sports to follow suit. Um, you know, instead of having a ladies golf tour, like they could just have a golf tour. And I mean, in golf, I, I don't, <laughs> with golf, why can't women compete directly with, with the men? Uh, it's not sort of as physical a sport, is it? But anyway, this isn't, you know, we're not here to talk about golf, but I'm just thinking um, how this could, you know, almost lead the way for, for other sports. And, um, you know, tennis has already kind of led the way in terms of 
sort of equality between you know men's and women's sports but um it you know has the opportunity to potentially go one step further so um and it's a bit like a supermarket isn't it you go to one tournament and get everything rather than going around all the little shops um and having to go to like three places you could just go to one place and get everything um you know and i i personally prefer generally speaking yeah to go to mixed events because it's just you know you can really indulge indulge yourself more um in everything that tennis has to offer <laughs> <laughs> exactly and yeah i'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about the potential for that to take place um you know i think as i said these are kind of interesting times of throwing up debates that we thought we would never have and for me yeah for us for it's like this is almost like the this is the golden egg this is the the, the golden question if it's going to happen it would happen now so uh yeah let's wait and see on that but um let's kind of move on to kind of the main other i guess piece of news for british fans um very quickly is talking about andy murray and the fact that he said that he would be fit uh to for the french open uh if it goes ahead in september so uh yeah kind of intrigued to see you know obviously British fans intrigued to see when he was going to come back onto the court and, you know, potentially this kind of lay, this kind of uh, enforced layoff, meaning, uh, you know, playing into his favor. Uh, but yeah, interesting to see that he said that he would play the French, <laughs> French open. Yeah. If it comes to fruition. If it happens, I think Joel, if it does happen, he should play in a kilt because I don't know if you saw, but he was <laughs> dressing up the other day, wasn't he? And, uh, for his daughters, I think, and he put oh, a, kilt, yeah. a kilt on and that did the rounds on social media. He looked very fetching. I'd, I'd love, Kim, I'd love a Grand Slam where everyone had to play in their like national Cultural dress. <laughs> the... <laughs> yeah, that that would be great. Uh, so uh, oh. yeah, but uh, yeah, le- interesting to see. I think we were. I think there's been talk actually this week that the French Open will be moved uh, back one more week. Um, they've been asked to by the ATP and WTA, but it sounds like they are fully expecting the French Open to go ahead at the very end of September. So we shall see. Right, let's move on to the kind of main topic for this podcast, which, uh, well, this episode even, uh, it was, um, yeah, our perfect players for the men and women's tours. So we got this idea from Novak Djokovic's and Andy Murray's Instagram session the other week, where they went through all the different strokes um, on a, on a you can play on a tennis court. So there was serve, return, forehand backhand volley and then also the mental side of the game and the physical side of the game and they basically picked a player that um that they would want to represent that stroke for so myself and kim have gone away and we thought very hard about who our personal picks would be for each stroke um and we're going to kind of go through we're going to go through them now for the the atb side and then the wta side um what we've also done we've added one rule in um and obviously you could you know listeners could play along as well as you know with who they think but we have only been able to choose one player um for each for each stroke so only one you can't have like nadal kim for like absolutely every stroke um, on the tennis court who else am i gonna (laughs) pick joel this is impossible i've got like (laughs) on like three of them i've got a rapper on three of them Yeah, so you can't just have you can't just like pick from the big three Aww. for all of them. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So, all right, let's move. Let's start then with the the ATP the ATP perfect player. Um, I'm going to go first. So let's let's kind of talk about serve because I think there's a few a few obvious 
I mean, for me, there's a few obvious candidates here. John Isner be, being at the top, potentially Milos Raonic as well. Um, but I have actually gone, I've gone for Roger Federer. Um, I think I his that. serve, yeah. I think for me, his serve is almost kind of one of the most underappreciated parts of his game. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of his success, I think I always kind of think about him on a grass court. He just gets so many free points from his serve or, you know, he's able to kind of start the point off in a really strong position. And I think that has a lot to do with how consistent his service it's not necessarily the most powerful but at the same time he does get a lot of a lot of free points from it no for sure um he's in sort of second place i think on mine um federer i've always been i guess yeah quite jealous of the fact that he can just nail down like service games and you know he gets through them so easily sometimes especially on grass like in the space of a minute he's back at the chair and you know that's invaluable isn't it and obviously that's enabled him as well to play until like almost 40 because he can sort of gracefully proceed through matches with like less toll on his on his body because he's able to rely so heavily on his serve um and i think also in terms of when his game starts to break down it tends to be kind of shanking errors off the backhand but it's not so much the serve that kind of goes awry so I think it's a bit more of a reliable shot for him as well but Joel so who have you, who have I, you well, got? Who yeah, have you got? I went for the most interesting player on tour John Isner um, oh you did go for Isner <laughs> okay I thought well, that, was, I was that was the obvious option Federer. I was considering Federer but then I wanted to put him down for something else you see um, yeah I mean Isner like obviously his serve is just you know amazing in terms of the amount of free points he gets from it yeah it going on statistics alone yeah if you're going on stats alone perhaps he's not the most interesting player to watch because of his serve and obviously 99% of his sets probably end up going to tie breaks as a result of it um <laughs> but I just kind of felt I had to I had to kind of go for him or you know I mean you've got like the Karloviches of the world um I mean Kevin Anderson you know there's a whole host of very tall men that I could have chosen but uh yeah I went for Isner in the end fair enough I also had a special special mention perhaps to Andy Roddick if oh, he was yes. still playing yes. I'm gonna, he had a great he always had a great serve on him and I also put Nick Kyrgios there I feel like I would be a bit more specific on that Nick Kyrgios first serve great Second serve, maybe you can keep that. Um, Underarm but, serve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking Nick Kyrgios, but I just think, yeah, Roger Federer for me, it's like very good first serve, very good second serve, and, yeah, very, very effective. Okay, right. So let's move on to return now. Uh, Kim, who have you put, who have you chosen? Who would you want facing um, facing a serve on the other side of the net? Who do you think is your best returner? Oh, well, I was sort of toying between two people. Um, and, oh, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I was toying between Djokovic and Andy Murray, obviously. Probably most people would say that. Um, I'm going to go for Murray, I think, because um, I can't pick Djokovic for everything. Because I think, you know, but both them two, I think, you know, statistically, as well as kind of just, I don't know, what's the opposite of statistically? Um, they t- Them two just kind of get the most back. I mean, also you've got to throw Rafa in there, I suppose, as well. Um, you know, especially like they're just able to, 
return, but not just return, they're able to return with interest, uh, which makes all the difference. And, you know, you're not, your serve's not really that safe, uh, perhaps unless you're John Isner, uh, when you play either of those two players. Yeah, I... I have, I'm agreeing with you here, Kim. I've got Andy Murray as well. I think he's one of the, I think, he's, yeah, for me, he's one of the best returners. And as you said, it's like, it's not like he just returns the ball. It's like he returns it with interest. He's, you know, if you told him to where you want to put, you know, the ball on a return, he could probably do it. Um, and I just recall kind of all the matches he plays against kind of big servers. He's always able to kind of nullify that threat. And I think that's kind of the hallmark of a great returner is that, you know, they play the kind of you know, those giants like, you know, John Isner and um, Kevin Anderson or whoever. And it's like, you know, it might go to a tie break, but at the end of, you know, when all is said and done, the return is going to, you know, the return becomes really important at the kind of the business end. And it kind of, you know, it seems to be really effective for Murray, to, you know, particularly when he's playing those kind of, you know, big, big, big serve, big serving, uh, big serving guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Joel, next, next category, moving on. Let's, uh, let's go for forehand. Who, who is your, the best forehand in men's tennis? And I should just say, we're mostly doing current players, aren't we? We're not kind of doing past players so much. We're not going back in the day. Um, we're doing more contemporary. I did put down when I was like growing up these players, like I was just in awe of these, of their strokes. And actually in terms of forehand, I, I did put in brackets as a special mention Fernando Gonzalez, who oh, oh yeah, was I mean, he's still pretty contemporary. He like, was great. He was great from the baseline. <laughs> he he was, was great from the baseline. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, I've put him, his forehand was just absolutely explosive. You can watch like YouTube clips on it. It was just so quick. You can just generate so much power from it, but I'm going to go for, I'm actually gone for Del Potro for my forehand um, just because it's just so flat and whatever it's like approaching him, whether it's slice or topspin, he just hits it so flat and it's just such a unique, I think it's just a very unique shot and it's just absolutely kind of devastating. And it's really, you know, when you're just getting kind of flat balls kind of hit back at you it's just very very hard to i think kind of you know you almost kind of do anything with it so um yeah i've kind of gone for the i've gone for del potro based on the that kind of flat motion that he has uh i'm not not interested in that sort of heavy top spin approach so uh yeah i've gone del potro yeah i think almost like the flatter you know they can be more devastating on a given day uh you know less safe but when it all comes together, more devastating yeah. and dangerous. It's so much more entertaining. Yeah, I suppose. And I'm just thinking of all the players that kind of have beaten Rafa over the years with kind of amazing performances. Generally, they've had a really like flat forehand. Um, yeah, forehand for me, I was kind of debating whether I should go flat or spinny. Um, but I mean, obviously, I was I was going to put Rafa. Um, but yeah, I, was, I knew you would. I know, I knew you yeah, would. but I've, I've got Rafa in so many categories. It's so hard. So I'm going to say Rafa. I'm going to say Rafa for the spin because do you know what? So many times when I watch him, I think, oh, that 
that blooming forehand's going miles out and then it just drops in to, you know on the baseline <laughs> and I'm always like flabbergasted um so I'm not gonna lie I do love I do love an inside out for uh Rafa yeah. forehand <laughs> it's just it is a work of it is an absolute wor- um work of, work of art, art but, it uh, is. Yeah. I, I do want to give Kyle Edmund an honorable mention though as mm. well because he does I'm have a pretty that, yeah. good forehand um so I'm I'm gonna it put Kyle up, up there like, yeah, I think for me, what held me back from putting him down was it does, it still breaks down too much for me. Feel like, like it on its day, yeah, it's very destructive, and I'm hoping uh, he can get that more like greater consistency. But yeah, on his day, it can be absolutely an absolute weapon, can't it? It can do, yeah. I mean, yes, obviously, it's not the best forehand of all time in men's tennis otherwise he would be perhaps higher ranked than he has been but um i thought we should give him his due so uh backhand joel are we going one-handed or two-handed ah big <laughs> that is the oh, question this is a yeah that's a big big question because i was toying whether to go double-handed or single-handed if i was going double-handed i'm not but again i, I, I would have picked i probably would have picked Djokovic. Uh, but I would have only picked Djokovic because I couldn't pick Andy Murray again. Um, but I think both those players have like superior, mo- the most superior kind of in a league of their own for double-handed backhands. But I'm going to go for a single-handed backhand and I'm going to go for Stan Wawrinka. For, oh, I can't even uh, argue like with backhand. you, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> it's just exactly such a great shot. It's just I something I love how he's like known. He's known for that shot. And it's just a great, um, it's just a great sight to see on a, I think particularly on a clay court. Um, and I think it just showed, I think it just showed the world that like single-handed backhands are not kind of dying out or like relics of the past. Um, you know, the amount of power and accuracy that you can kind of generate from that single-handed backhand, I think it just kind of made people realize and think again about kind of, you know, where a single-handed backhand can fit in on the men's tour. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Vavrinka has won Grand Slams, has, you know, got to kind of top five in the world with a single-handed back. It just shows you, for me, it was just such a, you know, destructive part of his game that was just so, you know, it's just so effective. And it's just so pleasing on the eye as well to just kind of see it, you know, backhand passing, passing shot down the line. It's just great, great sight to see. Absolutely. Um, I can't really disagree with what you've just said there, Joel. Um, I, I also immediately put Stan, the man down. Um, then I thought, oh, hang on, let's think about two handed as well, in which case I had put Djokovic. Although Rafa's backhand has come a long way as well since the early days. Well, and now it's, you know, yeah. in some matches, his backhand is is his weapon of, of most destruction. And when, when his backhand's really on... Um, you know, but anyway, I mean, obviously, other single-handed backhands like obviously Federer. I don't know. You've got the likes of, I don't know, Richard Gasquet, yeah, Gasquet. classic. Obviously, we were talking <laughs> last week about you know when he burst onto the scene at Monte Carlo. Um, but yeah, stands. I think it's more reliable, and there's just something a bit extra about about it. Uh, he has that I don't know X factor, I suppose, on the backhand that I would yeah I would definitely give him the edge. Uh, okay, so let's move on to volley. So for volley and kind of net play in general, I have gone for Nicola Mahu, who, <laughs> um, who obviously great doubles player. Uh, also, play, you know, 
a quite pretty decent singles player in his own right as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just to be honest, I just think it's his name really speaks for itself when it comes to volume. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was watching some YouTube vo- YouTube videos, and I think what I think what I think what impresses me about his volleys is that he's able to kind of just like you know when he's at the net, it, you know, he's a very good person to kind of finish off the point but also i think because of like him playing singles when he approaches the net his like touch for like half volleys and you know the approach play i think it's like absolutely second to none and i think he's a master of that you know serve and volley again that you know people kind of thought was almost kind of a relic um you know something of you know that kind of was of a, a bygone era. I think he's kind of, you know, it's still there on the tour. And I think Nicola Mahu just kind of embodies that and shows that, you know, with a really good touch and great volley, you, you can still do it to kind of a devastating effect. Yeah, no, sure. Totally, totally good. I think anyone who's like really top doubles player, you know, obviously their volleys are going to be pretty amazing but obviously on a single score that, that can you know differ so you could go and say the likes of the Bryan brothers but um in terms of singles I I was yeah I kind of went for Federer I mean we all know his his net play is oh, interesting usually um very good but I mean I was yeah I so, I mean I wanted to put Feliciano Lopez down as well because oh, we all that's love a, a bit one. of Lopez on a grass yeah, board don't definitely. Be away. so maybe a, a mixture of the two of them Mm. Yeah, because I was also thinking Jamie Murray would not have also been a bad shout, I don't think. Or I, yep. do you know, if we we if we were also including retired players, I I'd put Tim Hemman in this category oh, yes. as well because I yes. I think his he at the net was fantastic. I always when I was growing up, I always remembered his his high backhand volley smash cross court was absolutely beautiful um so yeah tim hemman definitely <laughs> definitely a special mention um of course. Right, let's move on to mental um most I mental player mental player yeah mentally strong player uh strongest player so i have gone i i don't really think there's any other any other answer than novak djokovic um you know he wins matches from match point down he wins matches when the crowd's against him he's just like unflappable you know he might even be a little bit injured but he can still get the job done you know i for me he's just like he is a you know he's above the rest his head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to that sort of mental side and you know you look at some of the rivalries he has and um you know i think he's kind of built that over you know it's not something you're kind of you know born with necessarily but like i think he's kind of he's built it over the kind of rivalries he's had over the kind of you know over the last decade or so and you know he's at a point now i think he's just kind of he goes on a court he expects to win I agree with you to some extent, Joel, but I I um I do agree. He's obviously very mentally strong and that's really helped him get through, you know, really tough matches. And obviously he has a winning head to head against Rafa and Roger, um, not to mention pretty much every other player. But um for me I always sometimes Djokovic does lack for me in the real critical moments. I think you can see it when he starts bouncing the ball about fifty times in a row. You can tell he's getting a bit nervous and he doesn't maybe do it so much now, but a couple of, I don't know, big finals that he played, say, against Rafa, I don't know, Roland Garros one year springs to mind. Like he double faulted on match point down, which I I don't think is a particularly, I mean, obviously, you know, every player's pretty much done it. But in a slam final to double fault at match point down, to me, doesn't show 
you know, indestructible mental kind of strength. And there's just been a couple of times as well where he gets a bit worked up and can show kind of slightly less appealing behaviour on court. And I just, I don't know, maybe not so many, not maybe not so much in, in latter years, but earlier on in his career, perhaps. Okay. So, I, I so just who have you gone, flaws, who have anyway. you gone for? Um, sorry, any Djokovic fans. I've gone for, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone for Rafa. Um, I don't know, I've kind of said him beforehand, but... I just couldn't Ooh, think. I don't... I, I, you, you have to accept this. I couldn't. <sighs> I couldn't think of anyone begrudgingly else, to be honest. Because for me, Rafa. If if someone had to like play a match, you know, to save my life or whatever, I just think Rafa not only has the mental strength, but he puts you know his heart into it. But it's not just being mentally strong. He he manages to maintain like respect and kind of a club. I don't know. He just manages to maintain that kind of real inner calm and strength and he doesn't ever like I mean he does show Get like that he's getting a bit annoyed but he doesn't ever like obviously smash rackets or like really put it on show so I just think in terms of being so like centered um I, I had to pick had to pick Rafa um fair enough yeah fair enough. So there we go <laughs> well what about I physical, have also physical strength <laughs> yeah I have I have put Nadal for physical um i think i think that's like again an i know that's an obvious answer i think it's the correct answer well Um, actually joel funnily enough i was i i have put rafa as like second but i put you you can't have rafa again you can't have i'm not allowing it i've put djokovic as number one for physical oh yeah because we've swapped i know exactly yeah it's weird that we disagree on this but i just think that novak his body is so um it's less prone to in it's less prone to injury than Rafa, and it's just his ability to stretch into all sorts of positions to get everything back is kind of second to none. And I don't think I've ever really seen him appear to be kind of incredibly exhausted. And ima- I mean, yes, okay, he has, but I just think in terms of longevity, I would actually put my money more on him than Rafa. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I did go for Nadal. I did think about the fact that. You know, he is a bit more injury prone and whether that counts against him. But at the, at the same time, I just think there's just very few people that you can just, could just live with, uh, you know, a fit and firing Rafael Nadal on a, on a tennis court. Um, I think a couple of other players I did think about, um, again, going into the, the retirement category, uh, most recently, um, David Ferrer, who I think was one of those players where physically he was able to kind of live with, the very best on the tour. He may not have had the technical ability at that very, very top level, but I think he and his kind of tenacity sort of around court was second to none. Um, and then I've also put in Dominic Team because of all the 250s uh, he played. <laughs> yeah, you know, he needs to be very sure. physically fit in order to to play all of them. So, well, all so these put... random clay court 250s, you know, like, you know, um, they can last for hours, can't they, all those matches? But... I was also going to suggest Medvedev uh, purely for the the streak of matches last year. Yeah, good. Yeah, you know, we yep. thought he would kind of crash and burn way before it actually happened. So I think that was whether he can always maintain that. I don't know, but that certainly showed massive physical in, endurance. Um, you know, kind of U.S. Open series onwards. Um, but yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think- I was going to say, Kim. I think I think Medvedev's a good shout, actually, because uh, you know he we we were keep we kept asking each other like when when is he just going to like retire or 
concede or just kind of fall on the floor out of exhaustion because yeah that's that street was so impressive uh at the back end of last at the back end of last season but uh yeah listeners let us know who do you think who would be your ultimate player for each of those strokes so serve return forehand backhand volley mental physical uh let us let us know on the podcast uh and we'll be back in a sec Okay, we are back and we are going to do the same thing now for the women on the WTA tour, going through all of the the different strokes. Now, Kim, for me, this was a little bit more challenging. Yes, I think so. I think perhaps there is not so much an obvious answer for each no, of these categories, I, I, yeah. except for Serena Williams, you, you could argue. <laughs> well, I was tempted to every put that single on category. for every category, yeah. to be quite honest <laughs> with you. But that wouldn't particularly be fair or a balanced discussion. Um, but let's start with 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 serve. Um, who who have you gone for, Joel? Out of out of mostly <laughs> so current I, players, who who have you picked for the best women's yeah. serve? So. I, I will just caveat that I have gone much more on, I think, statistics for this, uh, these, these players. So for serve, I have gone for Karolina Pliskova, who I think is just known for being, I know people look down on her a little bit by calling her a bit of a serve bot, but I think she just very, I think she's got a very, she's got a very good first serve and she gets loads of aces with it. And, you know, if if there's a if there's a person on the court who, you know, you want to get some you you know who's who's going to get some free points in you know any match she plays, I think Karolina Pliskova is is that person, and I think that's one of the reasons that she's one of the you know most consistent players on tour um, because it starts with her serve, and I think potentially that's the reason why you know she's not won a, a Grand Slam yet is that perhaps she's almost kind of too reliant on the serve, and she's not really got the the tools you know up to that level you know up to the same level as a serve um to kind of you know almost kind of push her through but at the moment i think kind of for me yeah pishkova pishkova definitely serve number one well i thought you were going to pick uh camilla georgie uh to be honest Joel, for, for serve. i mean <laughs> her, her stats is just top you know top of the or elena or elena dementieva <laughs> yeah. gotta love her First, uh, first serve slice oh, from, from most most of my career, but yeah, I know. Um, no, I put I put um, Pliskova in my top like three, for example, because yeah, she is very reliable serve. But I I do agree that perhaps that is the thing that's holding her back from perhaps having developed what is actually required to kind of step over the line at a Grand Slam level. Um, I've gone for Serena though to serve. Um, I mean, I could have fair for a lot of other things, but I just thought you know. Serena kind of slamming down like a massive first serve with a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a vocal cry. I just think that is one of the best sights in women's tennis. Um, and I also put put Venus down as well because obviously on her day, she can serve her way through anything. So, yeah, I couldn't look beyond uh, beyond the Williamses, to be honest. Okay. I mean, I mean, that's fair enough. Uh, Serena Williams got one of the best serves. Yeah, they used to, didn't they used to kind of two and throw between them for like the world record for fastest <laughs> I think fastest Venus, serve in, I in, think, in yeah, I feel tennis. like Venus always hit um, faster serves. I feel like statistically yeah. she was the one that had the, or she might still have the the world record actually. I don't know. Should I just have a quick I, I world will, record? I will caveat tennis. though, Kim, I will caveat though, Serena Williams, I swear also she's one of those players that, yeah, she could hit four aces 
and you know win a game in like 30 seconds but at the same time i swear there's videos out there of her like just double faulting after double fault after double fault and well i um, think in more recent times yes uh I mean, I would I would say with all of our discussion today about Serena, I, I'm kind of generally picturing the Serena Williams that doesn't kind of lose the plot in Grand Slam finals. Um, so perhaps yeah. we should caveat that. But um, okay, Joel, according to, to the wonders that is Google, Sabine Lasicki actually has the world record for the oh, fastest really? okay. in women's tennis, um, 131 miles an hour, which was just ahead of what Venus did uh so yeah, Venus is faster than Serena, but yeah, Lisicki actually has the record, which is quite interesting. Let's move on to returning serve, and I have gone for one of our fa- one of our fan favourites, one of our passing shot favourites, I guess as well, uh, Simona Halep, who I think yeah, just for me, she's a very good return return of serve, and I think the reason for that is because I think like for me, like a few seasons ago, I don't think her serve was kind of like the best part of her game and almost kind of she needed to make sure that you know if you know she she needed to be competitive when uh you know facing her opponent and and her opponent serve even so that you know if she was broken she was able to be competitive in in the next game and I think that's kind of where for me Hallett kind of really kind of focused on making sure that she had a really strong kind of return game. And for me, it's just kind of one of those that's up there that, you know, regardless of, you know, these you know big power hitters in the game, um, she's just able to kind of get it back. And whether that's kind of steering the ball into a really annoying spot on a tennis court or, you know, able to hit kind of a winner, she's able to kind of do it on, on both, you know, in, in both sort of, in both sort of ways. So I'm going to go Simona Hallett. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I also put her down, uh, Joel, for return because she was the first person that kind of came to my mind. Um, you know, she, you can kind of rely on her to get most things back and stay in the rally and and in terms of fitness as well. But um, yeah, I couldn't really look beyond Halep. Um, I'm also looking back to perhaps a retired player. Um, Brad Vanska came to mind as well. Um seemed to be very good at retrieving everything and returning so i know she's retired now but she was kind of in my mind as well when i was thinking about this but yeah i can't i I, you know i also went for halif on this one so what we got next forehand Forehand. Mm, tough one well you've already used you've already used your serena williams card but i am going to (laughs) be i am definitely going to be playing my serena williams card for (laughs) forehand because yeah i just think it's one of the most destructive shots in tennis and i don't mean like in women's tennis i just mean in tennis in general uh it's just like on its day it's very very hard to live with and i think very few players are able to kind of yeah as i said live with that that power and that pace that she can bring to a tennis court um it just kind of it's just like a knife top butter it could just cut through anything and uh it you know on a grass court particularly it's just can it just can be so devastating when it's you know really kind of hit through. No, I I do agree. Um, I would certainly have Serena in my in my top top few players for that one. Um, I went for Petra Kvitova for forehand oh, actually. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like you know, that. Yeah, because yeah, um, you know, obviously she hits a very flat forehand. Like she takes it early. She's very aggressive with it. It's probably her biggest strength, and it's just what I thought of immediately when I thought, oh yeah, who's got kind of. I don't know, one of the most devastating forehands. When it's on, obviously it can 
go away and and you know she can break down as as a lot of people can but um on its day i think it's yeah for me it was quite hard for me to look beyond that but i also was thinking i don't know uh you know sabalenka madison keys they've all got really solid forehands that can you know just dominate matches so um quite a few players up in this category for me but i thought kvitova just had the edge for me okay backhand, uh, so backhand, backhand. backhand. <laughs> uh yeah i thought there are a few there are a few candidates here and i've actually gone for the double hander um and i've gone for victoria azarenka you know one of my one of my favorites i just think that, yeah yeah i just think the pay again sort of sort of sort of similar to Serena Williams. It's just for the power that she can generate off the double hander. I watched her I watched her at Wimbledon last year. Um I can't remember who she was facing, but yeah, I just remember watching seeing that double hander in person. It's just a thing of beauty. I think in terms of technique, it's just you know, it's just so clean and, you know, the follow through, it's just I think it's just one of those you know really kind of aesthetically pleasing things to kind of see on a tennis court um i did have as a special mention uh i don't know if this is controversial or not but you know if we're talking about kind of peak serena williams era if we go back to kind of peak maria sharapova era Mm, i think also you got to kind of consider her double-handed backhand which again i think was one of the reasons that you know you 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 put her success down to because I think I think for me her double-handed backhand was stronger than her forehand it was certainly for me more consistent yeah um, more and again it was it was kind of the t- technique and you know watching kind of slow-mo videos of it on YouTube this week it just was uh you know it, it, the pay the power that she was able to generate it just kind of yeah won her a lot of matches yeah no I I completely agree if you're looking at you know peak peak Sharapova um I also maybe on a given day would throw Wozniacki in there just in terms of reliability. Um, perhaps not the most devastating, but um, I just, she, you know, I thought of her backhand. Halep, I I put in there. Obviously the Williamses. Um, I also, Joel, had for my one-handed backhand, one of your favourites, um, Carla Suarez Navarro. Oh, okay. So, you know, okay. <laughs> Because I just thought, you know, we all love a, a good one-handed backhand. And is her retirement on hold indefinitely now? Because well, of coronavirus. Uh, hopefully, because she, you know she announced that it would be. <laughs> we want to see that back on a tennis court. Well, exactly. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, she's like mm. classic one-handed backhand. Um, Do you know? So I, hopefully, we'll get to just... it again talking about we're very quickly talking about retired players on the backhand front I, I did want to give a special mention to Justine Enan who for me her single-handed I think for me her single-handed backhand was one of the like best shots best shots for me kind of growing up I just kind of remember it on a on a clay court it's just an absolute uh beautiful kind of technique again just to see on a on a tennis court um and also this is really niche just kind of thinking now i was at the us open many years ago and i saw a french player called emily i think emily loire this is random if you know that name this is really rote i know she had a really i think she had a she had like this sort of double-handed backhand slice technique um which sort of worked for her and i thought that was (laughs) i just thought it was quite i thought it was quite a cool it was quite, a, quite elegant. She she made it quite elegant for something that looked quite ugly, I think. So uh, I'm yeah. going to give a little shout out to Emily. I think it's Emily Loire. Um, 
but yeah, okay, let's move on to volleys net play. Um, so originally, I actually had Venus Williams down mm-hmm. here, but yeah. then I had, I was kind of going through my answers yesterday. I actually changed it and I put down Bethany Matek Sands, who, you know, Kim, I may not agree with her on the fashion front. But when it comes to volleys and net play, I don't think there's so too much you can argue. You know, she's won. I think she's won the Olympics. She won. I think she. I think she's won like all the ladies ladies doubles titles apart from Wimbledon. She's won all the ladies mixed doubles titles. Sorry, all the mixed doubles generally <laughs> apart from Wimbledon. Ladies mixed doubles. Um, <laughs> ladies mixed doubles. Didn't know. But um, yeah, for me, Matic Sands uh, is yeah number one. Number one for me for volleys. No, sure. I can. I. I mean, she is probably the most complete female doubles player, possibly. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got to throw in personally, like Ash Barty, just in terms of her kind of dexterity and confidence and ability, kind of well, not just at the net, but all over the court. And obviously, she is top in singles and doubles so um but also perhaps special mention to i don't know the suey shays of the world and uh barbora stritzkova you know also top doubles mm. players but yeah very handy Stritzkova's on a singles court nice. as well so yep. but yeah for me i just gave barty the edge um just i think i would trust her with my with my life at the net perhaps yes <laughs> Right. Okay. So let's move on to mental. Mentally strongest player for me, I'm going for Ash Barty. Now, I know I I forgot to mention her in the quiz, which is absolutely shameless. And this is almost kind of my bargaining. It's my bargaining offer, Kim. Um, For me, Ash Barty is, uh, you know, my probably mentally strongest player on the tour at the moment. I think think it's more in the way that she's just very casual and laid back. And, you know, it's one of those when she steps on the court, she just kind of goes through, kind of has a good kind of tennis brain, I think, in terms of kind of working it out on a tennis court. Um, So, yeah, I think that's kind of one of the reasons I've kind of really gone for, for Barty. I think she's kind of got that right approach that she doesn't let, you know, no matter what the situation is, she doesn't let that kind of fluster her. No, I completely agree. She's she's very calm and composed and um, she doesn't seem to have big mental kind of walkabouts in matches. She's very kind of neutral and in control. So, no, absolutely. Uh, she would be right up there. She has just a very good attitude, I think, when it comes to life in general. She's very relaxed. Um, I kind of envy that. Um I just need to learn lessons from her, I think. Um, I went for Bianca Andreescu because I think what we saw from her last year when she, you know, kind of her breakthrough year, when she just basically won everything that she played uh, almost, and it was only really injury that stopped her. I just thought, well, that is amazing mental strength. And, you know, to be sort of thrust into those big situations and it will be so new to you. And yet she just maintained her composure and came through and, and I think, you know, that was what she's always kind of said, you know, in all her interviews and everything that it's her just ability to kind of believe in herself that she can do this and that she will do it. And her visualization of kind of winning and that just has like propelled her to this like massive meteoric rise up the ranking. So I just think she has like the power of her mind down to a T. Um, from what we've seen of her so far in her completely fearless, fearless, yeah, fearless, fearless tennis. yeah. And I also on this category, 
Um, I put Alison Risk down because for me, she is a player that like literally never gives up and will always just go after it. And she's had like so many like battles and uh, like she's always a player that I have my eye on when it comes to, I don't know, like the slams because you can never count her out of a match, I think, because she will always be fighting so hard. And I think um, a lot of the American players, actually, Sophia Kennan as well, um, like Lauren Davis, to me, they are all quite perhaps not so much like consistently mentally strong but they have this like inner belief that they will always be able to come back from a really bad situation in the match and I think that's so so like admirable um yeah when they're down and out you know they will they will carry on carry on going yeah I I see I see your point um yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> agree with you <laughs> I thought you were gonna say someone like Muguruza definitely oh. <laughs> when you said walkabouts I was like yeah Muguruza <laughs> Australian Open round one oh, get bageled well, well, in the yes. first but that all worked out not so bad in the end didn't it um I mean I um, definitely wouldn't put the likes of um I don't know Garcia she's a terrible choker um <laughs> you know she, she can really like there are certain players that you just think oh you get so nervous like Safina when she was in her like slam finals yeah. I put a soccer so in that category as well actually yeah well nowadays so, but, yeah yeah I just don't think she yeah I think she I, I, I'm interested to see how you know how she if she you know when if when she gets back to kind of world number one um how how she kind of takes that on versus kind of the first time it happened um so yeah right let's move on to the final final the final one which was physical and uh so kind of for me fittest player on the tour i've gone for alina svitolina who um i was actually kind of reading up on some of her like exercises and programs that she does and i didn't realize that she's apparently a massive massive boxing fan um and she was a big, big fan of boxing growing up, and she incorporates boxing into her um, into her fitness program. I think she, one of her idols, is Anthony Joshua. Actually, I was kind of reading, and um, I think for me, she's one of those players who's kind of hard as nails when it comes to you know war of attrition style tennis. She's not going to be someone who's just going to you know she's not for me one of those players that's going to kind of flake or waver as kind of time goes on in a match I think you know in a third set of a match she'll be as fit as you know the first as the first set of the match so I'm going to go for Svitolina no that is a great shout she she's up there for me as well I also I mean I had her I had Halep down because again I just think you know, we've seen Halep in a lot of long matches. She doesn't really seem to tire. You know, you would kind of trust that she would carry on um, in pretty much the same like form um, throughout the whole match. Um, she hasn't had any like real significant like injury layoffs. I'm just trying to think of players who a can last and endure in a match, but b wouldn't you know get serious injuries all the time. Hence, I kind of discounted the Andreescu's. Um, of the world I mean it's not their fault but you know um also uh Wozniacki back in the day she's very like attritional player just like grind down her opponents defending everything getting everything back Um, and obviously if you're going to play that kind of you know game you need to be able to last uh for duration um and I guess I don't know in my mind like Pliskova, Madison Keys they seem very physically stable players so um 
perhaps that's not like a massive compliment just to say they're stable but um yeah i'm gonna i'll i'll go with um oh i've already said halep haven't i for something so i'll go for wozniaki in her golden prime days because obviously in the last year she's been struggling a bit with arthritis etc so that will uh, yeah, factor into that but but yeah i think we've come a we've come up with some interesting uh answers perhaps some predictable some some less so i did forget to mention uh monica nicolescu on the forehand category Joel. <laughs> i think she deserves a special mention maybe what, you know, forehand slice well yeah exactly i think you know also we, we you know we've got these sort of typical categories but you maybe maybe we should have had a category for kind of x factor or just that extra kind of flair that that someone would add to the court so i don't know i was thinking for the men i would perhaps say someone like gail monfils just for like pure entertainment so i was gonna have him on for physical but then i was kind of thinking about the injuries that he he gets and stuff and that almost kind of mm. put me off putting him in there but yeah i definitely think gasquet could have sorry gasquet monfils could have fit in there i quite happily could have put um gilles simon for double-handed backhand i love i love I love watching his backhand when I've uh, when I've seen him play. Um, yeah, and uh, if, if you've got if you're going to have Nikolescu for forehand, I'm going to have Novak Djokovic for volley specifically. Oh. Smash! Oh my god! Um, yes, yes. <laughs> I love. Which I is love definitely, I feel like smash. his probably his worst shot. If he's got a worst shot, it's oh, yeah, got to be his sure. smash. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, Joel, just so, when you were saying earlier about putting Novak as your um, most mentally strong, and I was like, mm. but then I just thought of the Wimbledon final last year how he you know came through saving all those match points with a with a crowd that was very much against him and i thought oh maybe you've got a point <laughs> yeah yeah so, oh, well listeners let us know do yeah. i have a point uh let us know what your perfect uh perfect players are uh in regards to their serve return forehand backhand volley and then mental and physical side we'll post uh we'll post our perfect players on our social media channels uh so you can go over to our facebook instagram uh, or twitter at passing shot pod and you can see them on there um of course if you're listening to us um on apple or spotify or wherever you're listening to us make sure you click that subscribe button and if you're listening to us on apple we'd really appreciate it if you are enjoying the show to leave us a rating and a comment uh but for now uh, i think that's it for this episode hope you've enjoyed listening to our perfect players and i'm sure we'll be back sometime soon with another episode of the passing shot but until then thanks for listening and goodbye hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.